Well, uh, I have a confession to make to you uh, to start with, and it's that I hate naming sermons. I mean, I really hate it. Uh, and the reason is because I usually have to come up with a name for the bulletin before I'm really done preparing for my sermon. And so what often happens is I come up with a sermon title, then I think, gosh, my sermon's really not about that. Uh, so, you know, they're just kind of take them with a grain of salt. Uh, if I could rename the sermon this year, I, I'd say uh, it's our New Year's resolution for 2022. I'm going to suggest a New Year's resolution to all of us. Uh, first, I, I want to describe something to you. Uh, do you know what a meme is? Anyone familiar with memes? Almost. So, <laughs> Memes, I, I think they were really, I mean, they're still popular, but they were really a big deal like a couple of years ago. And I'm always at least a couple of years behind the times. But memes are basically a, a picture with words on it that tells some sort of story. The picture is intended to illustrate the short, pithy sentence that's in this meme. And I saw a meme, it was actually last year, around New Year's, where there was a guy who, it said he was looking at a screen or something, and it said December 31st, 2020. And it was 11.59 and 59 seconds. And everyone remember 2020, right? It was even worse than 2021, if you can believe that, in a lot of ways. It was a rough year, and we were all excited for 2021 to come. And, and the next scene in this meme showed the guy, and he had this terrified look on his face, and his, uh, his calendar now said January 1st, 2020. Did you get it? The year ended, but it was still 2020. <laughs> Have the last couple of years felt like that a little bit? Yeah. It feels like you know, the, the, the days keep going on, but nothing's really changing. Things aren't, we're not returning to normal in the ways that we, we want to. And not only that, but it seems like when, when the year changes, that's when COVID cases just go totally crazy. And hopefully, you know, we've been saying this for a while, but hopefully we're near the end, right? Hopefully that this is the last push of COVID. Who knows? But it does feel sort of like the years keep changing, but nothing actually changes. And I think that we belong to a God who understands what that's like. The years keep changing, but nothing ever really changes. And I think that the message that our God has for us in the midst of this is you need to be more concerned with who you are than with your context. You need to be more concerned with how you are growing than you are with the lack of growth and change around you. You know, uh, I remember when I was a kid, and we would drive to church on Sunday mornings. And uh, we, part of the drive to church was to come down this big hill. And uh, when we got to the bottom of the hill, there was, there was kind of a little part that went like this. You ever, you ever experienced that? And you remember, especially when you're a kid, your stomach kind of swoops when you go over those little humps. I could tell you another story. Now, I found when I, grow, when I grew up, that didn't really happen anymore. It's, it felt like I was going over the same humps, but I wasn't getting the same sort of thrill. Right? Nothing had changed about my context. Nothing had changed about my circumstances, but I had changed. 
And for some reason, that didn't happen anymore. Now, I found uh, a couple of years ago uh, that, that same thrill once more. And it's I was, I was driving our minivan out in Exeter. We had all the kids in. I think we were going to Tulare. And uh, we were on some back road. I, I had like missed a turn. I do that all the time. And I was going down some other road that I wasn't familiar with. And I didn't really know when we got to some train tracks. And I looked at it. It looked like, OK, you know, it's, it's, everything's fine. I don't really need to slow down that much. And then I got to the train tracks and I found that on the other side of the tracks, the road did this. And I am sure that the van left the road. And I got that swooping feeling in my stomach again. And I thought I probably should have been more careful. Different, same circumstances, but very different response. One thrilled me. The other one said, I hope that I don't need to pay thousands of dollars to fix my van now. See, I think that the most important thing in our lives is not the circumstances that surround us, but the work of God in our lives and how that begins to change and transform us. I think that's important not just because it's, it's a fool's errand to hope that the world will change around you so that your life will get better because it's relying on things you are entirely not in control of. It's basically saying, I wish that I would just win the lottery and life would be easy. I think that we need to be people who actually say, how can I change and how can I grow and how can I be transformed so that no matter what happens around me that is outside of my control, I can find joy and I can find hope and I can find peace and all of those other things that I need. How do we do that? How do we get that out of, out of our lives? I think the, it may sound all well and good, Pastor Ian, to say, well, we should change ourselves so that we can be happy. But changing ourselves is kind of hard, isn't it? Um, there is a Disney movie, Frozen. You've probably heard of it before, especially if you have uh, young grandkids or young children in your life, especially if you have a young girl in your life, because everyone wants to be like Elsa, the main character in this movie. And there is a, a song in the movie uh, that's one of my favorites. It's called Fixer Upper, and it's about how nobody's perfect, and, uh, but if you can just love them the way that they are, everything will be fine. And there, there's a line that says, it's no use trying to change him. Because people don't really change. On the one hand, we kind of nod when we hear that, don't we? Change is hard. And we, we can't guarantee that the people around us are going to change. We can hardly even guarantee that we will change. But on the flip side, oh, that is so depressing. People never really change. Is it true? How do we change? Well, I think Colossians chapter 3 gives us the answer for real, substantial transformation in our lives. I think if we're going to make a New Year's resolution this year, we can't do better than what we read in Colossians chapter 3. And it's not, it's not complicated. It's not complicated. Here's what it says. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
See, our New Year's resolution is, should be to set our hope, which is how I'm going to put those hearts and minds together, on things above, where Christ is. Okay, so on the one hand, that's very simple, right? Okay, okay that, it tells me exactly what to do. But the problem is, how am I supposed to do that? Has anyone here ever been above, ever been to heaven? No, you haven't, I promise. None of us has been to heaven. Has anyone ever seen God face to face? No, none of us have. Uh, as a matter of fact, some people claim that they've seen God face to face. And let me tell you, if, if you run across somebody who says that, you need to be pretty concerned for that person. Not just because it's unlikely, you know, and, and you know, mental health and all those sorts of things, but because God doesn't have a face. The Bible tells us that God is spirit. Does your spirit have a face? Have you ever seen it? No, it's not material. It's not something you can see with your eyes. If someone ever says, I've seen God, there's a good possibility that he or she has seen something, but it wasn't God. It wasn't God. No, we haven't seen these things before. So how do we set our hearts on things that we've never seen, in a place that we've never been? Well, first, I think we have to give something up. First, we have to give something up. First, we put off the broken heart and mind patterns of this world. Okay, this, this is what he says. He says, seek the things that are above with your heart and with your mind. And then he goes on in, in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then he, he gives us more. He says, put aside anger, rage, malice, slanger. Sl slanger, I don't know what that is. Sounds like a city nearby, but it's not. <laughs> Slander and filthy language from your lips. He says, if you want to set your minds and your hearts on the things that are above, first empty them of all of those distractions. Because make no mistake, these are not just things that we do, but they are patterns of our heart and patterns of our mind, patterns of thought and patterns of feeling. Sexual immorality, nobody goes without feeling, without thought, and says, today I'm going to commit adultery. I'm just going to do it, absent of any impetus from my brain or from my heart. No, those things flow from the inside of us to the outside. Our deeds are connected to what we think and what we feel. They are not random, but they come out of something inside of us. And so we need to take the things that belong to the broken nature of the world that are inside of us, and we need to start removing them and taking them out. Let me give you a couple of examples. When I was, uh, I think I was in college, and I went hiking with a friend of mine. And we got to the trailhead, and you needed a permit to hike the trail. Now, we had a permit, or I should say we owned a permit, but we'd left it at home. And you're supposed to leave the permit hanging in your car. Right? That's how they would know. You've got the permit. So we went. We, we said, you know, we we're already, it's like an hour and a half to get here. We thought we had the permit. We don't. We're just going to hike the, the trail anyway. 
And we, we went, we did our hike, we came back to the car, and what did we find? We had a ticket. We had a ticket. And you know what we did the whole way home? For like an hour and a half. We talked about how we could convince the people who had given us the ticket that we didn't really deserve it. Right, the whole way, for like an hour and a half, we're talking about this. Well, we could tell them that. We could tell them this thing. We could tell them it's really their fault. You know, it's not ours. This is a stupid rule. Why do we have to do this? Why can't people just know that we've done the right thing? Right, we on and on and on, because it's a pattern of thought. It's not just that we forgot to bring our, our decal so that we wouldn't get a ticket. It's that when it didn't come, we had all of these things inside of us that were telling us, this isn't your fault. One of my favorite scenes from a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip is after a terrible thing has happened to Calvin. Not my son, but the naughty boy in the comic strip. And, and he says at the end of this thing where he's so frustrated and so angry and so sad, this is everybody's fault but mine. We've all got a little bit of that in our hearts and in our minds, don't we? It's not really my fault. It's yours. It's hers. It's his. It's theirs. It's the man. Right? We have these patterns of thought and patterns in our hearts. Think about lust. Remember Jesus said, it's not just uh, adultery isn't just going out and doing the deed. Adultery is actually having the feelings in your heart and letting them repeat and continue on and on and on. It's the way that you look at people and the way that you think about people. It's not just the outward expression, but the inward expression secret. And how often do we feed it? Ooh, well, that's a nice looking lady. That's a nice looking man. And we keep that thought process going and going and going. And all of a sudden we find that, oh, I'm thinking things I really shouldn't be thinking that aren't respectful to this person or loving toward them and that are destructive to my own self. Because now I'm in this loop and in this cycle. Do not lie to each other, it says. I think we think of lies as individual actions, don't we? But they're really patterns of thought and patterns of feeling in our heart. I cannot let this person know the truth about me. I have to manipulate them into believing what I want them to believe. And where does that come from? Because if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't love me, they wouldn't respect me, they wouldn't care for me. They wouldn't treat me the way I want to be treated. It's a thought and pattern of our heart. So the first step is just to say no. When you start getting in that thought and pattern, recognizing it, and say, I'm going to stop that right now. And then doing what you need to do to stop it. Because sometimes it's not enough just to say, I'm going to stop it. You need to say, okay, I need to actually remove myself out of the situation. I need to not watch that sort of TV show or that sort of movie because, man, the impact that it has on my mind and on my heart makes me a slave to the old broken ways of this world. 
I can't help but think or feel a certain way when I encounter that. I need to remove myself from the situation. I need to bring in a fellow Christian who will encourage me and who every time I'm struggling, you know, AA is awesome. I love AA. I think we all need to be in AA. Not necessarily because we have a problem with alcohol, but because the folks in AA have learned how to admit they have a problem and then do everything that they can to get out from under its thumb. I think we could use that. We could use sponsors in our lives. Say, I'm struggling. I want to, this thought, this pattern of feeling, it's, it's going on and I can't stop it and I need your help. I need you to tell me to get out of here. I need you to come and pick me up. I need you to, to just tell me the truth. We all need that kind of thing in our lives. We got to take out the old stuff. And we got to put the new stuff in. Yeah, we, we haven't been to heaven so that we can set our minds and hearts on it easily. We haven't seen Jesus in the flesh so that we can easily set our mind or our heart on him. Although I think we might be surprised if we saw Jesus in the flesh. Because the Bible is really clear. When you look at him, he just looks like a regular guy. Pretty clear that sight alone wouldn't do it. There's this amazing story that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man has everything and and Lazarus has nothing. And then uh, one day they die and the rich man who'd only ever looked out for himself is in hell. And Lazarus, who no one ever looked out for, is in heaven. And the rich man has this sight to see that Lazarus is in heaven. And he says, you know, "Send, send Lazarus to me to give me just a drop of water to cool my burns. God says, that's not how this works. You got to uh, tell him what to do in your old life. But in this life, he is not subject to you anymore. But then here, here's the big idea that I, I'm, I was looking at out of here. The rich man says, please send Lazarus to my friends back on earth. Because if a man appears to them from the dead, they will believe and they will change their ways. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Do you know how God responds? He says, they have Moses and the prophets, and if they won't believe them, they're not going to believe even a man who rises from the dead. There is something broken in their hearts, broken in their minds, that no evidence will convince them. Isn't that amazing how deep our brokenness goes? So we need to replace it with, with something. Here's what we do. I want you to take a moment and think about how you spend your time each day. I did this this week, and it was like getting punched in the gut. So I've already been here. <laughs> I want you to think about how you spent your time this week. How much time were you actively and earnestly seeking God in one way or another? How much time did you spend in in prayer? How much time did you spend in God's words? If we want to know what God is like, shouldn't we be in his only written message to us? 
How much time did you spend in the company of the saints? And not just in the company of the saints, but seeking God together. Because sometimes we get together and we just have fun. And that's great. That's a good thing. I'm not complaining about that. What I'm saying is how often do we actually intentionally have a spiritual relationship with each other? Where we say, hey, I want to point you to Jesus. I want you to point me to Jesus. I need your help in this moment. Now, how much time did you spend watching the news? How much time did you spend in the bathroom? How much time did you spend reading a book? How much time did you spend at work? How much time did you spend with your family? And how much of that was connected to your relationship to Jesus? See, when I did this exercise over the last week, here's what I found. I spend like this much time with the Lord every week. This much time intentionally seeking him out in one way or another. And then I spend this much time doing everything else. And I'm hoping that this can somehow transform this. Now, it's not merely about the quantity of time that you spend doing something. That's just the easiest thing for us to measure this morning. Okay, I am convinced that just a little bit of time with the Lord starts seeding all sorts of good things throughout the rest of your life. I'm convinced of that. But I do think that when I get frustrated at how slowly I am being transformed, at how difficult it is for me to actually set my mind and heart on the things that are above, the first place I need to look is at myself and say, I am not giving this the bulk of my time and attention. What I'm really doing most of the time is I'm saying, okay, God, here is a list of stuff that I would like to see fixed. Get on that, please. I'll check in with you later this week to see how much progress you've made. Does that sound like what God called us to? Is God you know, the, the doorman just waiting for us to show up so he can open the door for us? Oh, you know, this way, sir. Or is God actually the boss and saying, hey, come to me and I will teach you who you need to be and how you get there. And I will fill you with power and strength so that you can move in that direction. Are we actually going to God to be filled up by him? This was another thing I, I was thinking. So often my, my prayer, my, my time in the word, my time with God's people, it's just rote. It's just like, I got to read a chapter of the Bible today. Okay, that's done. Check. Now I don't have to think about that for the rest of the day. I need to make sure I spend at least 20 minutes in prayer with God today. Okay, that's done. Now I don't have to worry about that. It's an activity on my checklist instead of an active pursuit of the living God who will fill me with power and strength and start to transform my life. Did you notice what it says here in, in chapter 3? Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. He's telling you, seek Christ. Seek Jesus. Don't just go out and say, I'm going to check these things off my list. But instead say, if I am just full of you, if I am just close to you, then my life will start to change. 
you know, when I do that, I can think of times in my life, and I'll tell you, I, I do this, where you know, sometimes I'm really getting it, and I'm seeking the Lord, and other times where I'm, I'm like, well, I'll just do it, because I know I'm supposed to do it, and then other times where I get down there, and I'm just not doing it at all. But when I'm up here, what I find is I'm seeking the Lord, I'm really looking for him, and I don't always find him right away. But when I get some distance, when it's the beginning of 2022 and I look back on 2021, I say, I'm different. I don't know how it happened. I, it wasn't something I did on purpose. I just showed up to meet my God. And he started to transform me in ways that I didn't understand until I had some distance from them. It's really about seeking God, looking for him. Now, we're talking about how do we do this? How do we follow through on the New Year's resolution to set our hope on the things above where Christ is? We said we got to empty out the old stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus. we got to start filling it with the Jesus stuff through the word and through prayer and through fellowship and all of these sorts of things. Through earnestly seeking God and saying, I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. And I'm going to go looking for him. That's how we do it. But why? Why? What gives us the ability to even do those things? And I think that's where baptism comes into this. You didn't know this passage was about baptism, did you? It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Where have we been raised with Christ? In our baptism. In our baptism. Earlier on in, in chapter 2, just a few verses before our passage here. He says, for in Christ, well, let me skip ahead a bit. He says, in him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Through your baptism, through your faith, in which the Holy Spirit acts upon in baptism to connect you to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, just to you know, further make this point, you got to go back to uh, the book of Romans, to chapter 6. Okay, and in verse 1 here, uh, he says... Uh, actually, in verse 3, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Have you confessed your faith in Jesus Christ and taken the step of affirming it in baptism? If 
so. This is already who you are, a person who is able to begin setting his or her heart on the things that are above, his or her mind on the things that are above. And what happens when we do that? In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The patterns of your thought will be changed because you have been baptized. And when you cooperate with that in seeking Jesus, you will be transformed. Just live into what you already are through faith in Jesus, through your baptism. Just live into it. At Disney, I love to criticize Disney because they say, follow your heart. Right? And say, well, Hitler was following his heart. Don't just follow your heart. Because your heart doesn't always tell you the right places to go. But here's the place where it's right. God is already remaking your heart in Jesus Christ through faith, through your baptism. Now live like it. Live into it. Be transformed by it. So if that's the ultimate power. What we really need, just live into who you are by virtue of your baptism. The next thing is the motivation for it. It's not just so that life will be better, but did you catch again what he says? He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, 3 to 4. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where your real life is. You know, I'm going to close with this. Uh, As I get older, I find that some of the things that I got a lot of satisfaction out of earlier on in my life don't satisfy any longer in the same way. I've had too much of them. I have experienced them repeatedly. And they start to wear out in my heart. They're not as satisfying anymore as they were at the first. And I'm convinced that's the nature of the whole world that we live in. That there is nothing in this world that can bear the weight of our ultimate expectation. It'll all give way in the end. What, according to uh, the the popular stories and and movies and and everything that we see and, and read and watch, what is it that people ought to pursue above all else? Every story ends with either a funeral or a wedding, right? Find that person who makes you happy. But here's the thing. No one, And this world can make you happy forever. And stop expecting it out of your spouse. Stop expecting it out of your future spouse if you're not married yet. Stop mourning after it if you're single. And you're here today and you're thinking, gosh, if only I just have that person who would complete me. Right? Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Stop expecting that. Because it'll let you down. I'll tell you why. First of all, there's a really pragmatic reason. 
Nobody stays the same forever, no matter what the trolls in Frozen said. Nobody stays the same forever. The person who satisfies you today may be different tomorrow and not satisfy you anymore. That's why when we get married, we make promises to love each other for all of our lives. Because we're actually going to have to work at loving each other for all of our lives. Because we're going to change. We're going to be different. You're going to want different things. And your partner will become different things. No one will satisfy you forever. And the second reason is, no one is good enough to satisfy you forever. No one. Not any person that you meet in this world will have the depth of goodness and character in themselves to satisfy you forever. It's just not going to happen. I don't care how good they are. As a matter of fact, if they are good enough to satisfy you forever, you'll probably run away in fear. I had a roommate uh, in college. He was so nice. Just one of the nicest people that I've ever met. And I lived in fear. Because I thought, I wonder, I can't live up to their standard. They're just a nicer person than I am. So someday they're going to get tired of me not treating them as well as they treat me. They're too nice. They're too nice. Nothing in this world will ultimately satisfy you. C.S. Lewis said, if we find a desire in us that nothing in this world can satisfy, then maybe we were made for a different world. And I think that's true. That unfulfilled desire in your heart that you can never quite fill. It's meant to be filled in the end by Jesus. Because he makes you good so that you don't have to forever be feeling like I can never, you know, he, he must get tired of me someday and want to get rid of me. And because even more so, he is so good that we will never run out of things to love and value about him. So your New Year's resolution, if I can make it for you this year, if I can make it for all of us, it's to stop looking for your satisfaction in this life and start looking for it with Jesus. To set your mind and your heart on the things that are above where Christ is and allow that to start to transform you today. Oh, and by the way, I say you just to make it personal, not because uh, I don't need to do any of these things because uh, I, like Paul, am the worst of sinners <laughs> and need this as much or more than anyone else.